0: Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontes, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Now, last week, we unpacked a little bit about the challenger Goliath, this Philistine, who's the enemy of Israel. Um, and he really does represent the enemy of your soul, the devil. Who the Bible says is actively seeking who he could devour. And ultimately, this was a story really about God's power to deliver his people. No matter what we face. So today, I want to spend some time learning more about not the challenger, not the enemy, but really the one who's called, the one who was chosen as the man of God, as the warrior to go before and bring about an incredible deliverance and victory for the people of God. So if you have your Bible with me, turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to start at verse 12. Now there's a lot of text here, but we'll, we'll, we'll move through this pretty quick. But I just think If you read the whole story, it just has so much brightness and brilliance, and and it it just becomes alive because you're reading all of the text, amen? So here we go, verse 12, now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimei, had already joined King Saul or Saul's army to fight the Philistines. Verse 14. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take the basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. So how you see how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they were doing. 19. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon, now, now you got to picture this. Yes, yeah! It's, it's kind of like a football team coming out of the locker room. Yeah! But they didn't realize they were the freshman team and they were about to go out against the senior varsity football team. And quickly they got a little, little scared, as you will see here in just a moment. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other Army against army. Remember, as we saw yesterday, one on one side of the high valley cliff and one on the other side of the high valley cliff. And then comes the big, ugly, worse than ugly, ugly guy named Goliath down at the bottom, which is called the valley, the valley bottom, where this big bout would, would take place. Verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers As he was talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Now, think about this for a moment. David has been coming out multiple times during the last 40 days. I wonder, was this the only time he heard Goliath do his rants? Or was this the first time? We're not sure. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. They ran back into the locker room. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempt from paying IRS taxes. Okay, I paraphrase that. Verse 26. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. Actually, in another version, you'll see as we later in the sermon, it says literally that, that he was just enraged with anger. What are you doing around here anyways, he demanded. That's Eliab. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Whoa. Boy, there's a lot going on here. See, this passage shows us a lot about David and how he even spent his time. We already know that soon David will be the one to take on and defeat this giant. But who really was the man of God that would be chosen by God to take on this giant? Who was he? Well, we learn in verse 14 that David was the youngest son. Maybe you remember the story of David um, being anointed by Samuel to become the next king of Israel. Falling when Saul would die. It was just one chapter earlier where Samuel the prophet shows up at Jesse's house. Th- that's David's father. And Samuel's there because God has chosen one of Jesse's sons to become the next king of Israel. And so he says, Hey, I'm coming for the special sacrifice and I want to anoint one of your boys. So he brings up all seven of them. By the way, there's actually eight. And he lines them all up there. And there's a part of it where Samuel sees Iliad because he's the oldest. He's the biggest, the brawniest. I mean, he looks like a warrior. Kind of reminds him of a big guy named Saul. Bad idea. And the Lord actually tells him, don't look at the outward appearance of what you think is the right guy. You're wrong. It's not him. Survey says, you're wrong, Jesse. So this, this is happening. And, and then when Samuel moves past, all seven of Jesse's sons, and then inquires, Don't, do you have any more kids? Do you have any more sons? This is interesting. Jesse says, can you, you can just imagine the pause. And you can imagine him just looking down. And then he realizes that God's doing something. The most powerful, powerful prophet is in my house and he looks down he says yeah i i I have one more he's out with my sheep well we're not going to sit down go get him nobody sits down until he comes and here comes this rudy rugged guy and he's he's just a kid he's a teenager and that's when he looks at him and says that's the one Give me the oil. And he pours it on him. Can you imagine what the other seven brothers must have been thinking? Him? And there's a reason they would say him that way. We'll get to that in just a little bit. See, most people look at David as this young person and would have thought, just like you, just like me, most likely, you're going to use what? No experience? They're too young. They can't do this. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6-7, it says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by the appearance of height, for I have rejected him. Just like he had rejected Saul, who was head and shoulders above the rest. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks, say it with me, at the heart. Praise God for that. Wow. What a wonderful statement God makes to the prophet Samuel and for us to hear. Yet I think there could be more to the part of the story that we're just not aware of because we don't have a lot of the Jewish background stuff. See, there is a Jewish tradition that speaks about David. See, David's mother, according to Jewish tradition, we don't have her name in the scriptures. But they believe her name was Netzavet, the daughter of Adiel and actually the wife of Jesse. The tumult relates a very complicated story concerning Netzavet, her husband Jesse, and it literally began to doubt. See, Jesse began to doubt his purity of his Hebrewness, of his Jewishness, because he was the grandson of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. So because he had this blood, maybe being a Moabite, for whatever reason, after having seven sons, it's just kind of a strange thing. He said, I'm no longer going to have relations with, uh, with his wife. I'm going to get the maidservant and I'll have children with her. I'll marry her. Okay? Did I not say complicated? All right. So then what happens is there's going to be this wedding and be the two women and, the, and she was so devoted, the maidservant, to, to uh, Nezavet that she, they said, listen, I'll go in for you. We'll switch on your wedding day and I'll go in and have relations with my own husband and you would not have to. It's there that David is conceived and she gives birth by the way. If daddy's no longer doing relations with mommy, how is mommy pregnant? The family was not pleased. They were mad. And they took it out on the child named David. It's why we look at some things and it seems like as we look at this, we begin to put together like, Maybe this explains all these weird things in the scriptures. This Jewish tradition could explain why David was not accepted by his family. Go with me to Psalm, well, you can write it down and look at it later. Psalm 69, 8, it's not on the notes. It says, I am a foreigner to my own family. David's saying, I'm a foreigner to my own family. How many have ever felt that way? A stranger to my own mother's children. Why is he saying that? Well, maybe because he was treated like an illegitimate child and didn't belong in the family. David was left to tend the flocks when the prophet Samuel shows up to anoint the next king. He's not even invited to the sacrifice. He's not even recognized until the prophet says, is there not one more? Who's going to lie to the prophet? What? Do you begin to understand these weird situations to begin to start to line up? He's illegitimate. He can't come and be a part of the ceremony. Now look at this one. Oh my goodness. If you were to go to Psalms 51 verse 5, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, this is what David says in Psalm 51 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, David says. I was brought forth in iniquity. Now catch this next part. And in sin, my mother conceived me. And in sin my mother conceived me. This Folks, I'm sorry, I don't believe this is fairy tale. I believe David' telling us straight up that he was considered illegitimate, and this Jewish tradition has some real strong meat on the bone. Why? I find it interesting that somebody who's considered illegitimate is going to become the next king of Israel. I also find it interesting that Jesus Christ, that David being a type of Christ, and Jesus is considered illegitimate, although he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he is the king of kings. Isn't that amazing? So throughout Scripture, God chooses to use people who are the youngest, who are the weakest, who are the poorest, who are the least educated, who are marginalized, who are considered illegitimate and all forgotten about. That's the one God wants to use. If you find yourself as one of, in one of those categories, the weak, the ugly, the, the one who's disdained, the one who's discredited, the one who's rejected, if that matches up, you're in good company. You're right where you need to be. Regardless of what your family and your culture has defined you as, the Bible makes it clear that God intends to use you for much more than you would ever think or know how to ask for. God seems to delight in using the underdog. And at the end of the day, he gets all the glory. Not us. So let's continue with that little thought that that David is being looked down on. Even though God chose to use David for great things, it didn't stop people, even people close to him, people who were supposed to love him from doubting him, from literally speaking Curses upon him. And falsehoods about him. Even people who were supposed to be his own blood. People who should have been advocating for him. See, it's in verse 28. Out of all the people to make a statement of doubt towards David, it happens to be his oldest brother. Haven't you ever noticed there's there's this incredible interaction between an oldest brother and a baby brother? They just kind of like take care. The big guy takes care of the little guy. And we don't have that dynamic here. We don't have that at all. Verse 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab... Heard David talking to the men. He was angry. In another Bible version, it says, Iliab burned with anger. What are you doing around here anyways? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride. I know about your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Sounds like Iliab didn't want him around. Why this extreme anger? We're not sure. I think maybe that Jewish tradition might have something to do with it myself. But one thing's clear. We see that even someone with David's own family, from his own family, was looking down on him. Eliab goes so far as to call David prideful and deceitful. Have you ever had somebody parent a mom a dad talk to you like that make you feel like you don't belong have you I have and if we're not careful we'll listen to the wrong words and we might believe the lies that are coming out of somebody who was supposed to love us someone who's supposed to care for us someone who's supposed to protect us but the truth is when you've experienced Jesus everything else pales in comparison Maybe Eliab's anger is pointed, many spokes a little bit, but let's just look at maybe just because David's young. He's inexperienced. Did his brother really think David came to watch the battle? I don't think so. But with this in mind, the Bible seems to have something, some contrary things to say about youth. Look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. It says don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. I mean Paul is speaking to Timothy, a young minister. He uses the word anyone Don't let your old big brother Eliab, don't let your dad, don't let your mom, don't let your uncle, don't let the priest, don't let the pastor, don't let the coach, the teacher, don't let your boss, your spouse, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say. In the way you live. In your love. Your faith. And in your purity. This is the Apostle Paul. And and he's writing to this young leader. Timothy. Paul seems to understand. This reality. And people will find ways. I'm telling you they will find ways to look down on you. Especially. Especially. When you're young. You know what else they try to look down on you? When you're old. Oh. Yeah, I get some amens out of that one, don't I? I'm here to let you know, don't let anyone look down on you. Why? Because that's not how the Lord sees you. That's not how the Lord sees you. Did you know there's no retirement in Jesus? Stay busy for the kingdom, folks. So regardless of how others decided to find David, David knew God had chosen him for a moment just like this. Somebody out there being being the enemy. And he's like, oh, I'm used to this idea. This is going to be fun. I fought lions and bears. Dude, you're a much bigger target. This is going to be really fun. So so we get a glimpse of his mindset. And when we look at verse 26, again, 1 Samuel 17. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan? Another way, go to a New American Standard, go to NIV, go to New King James, it says, this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, why is that important? You see, Abraham made a covenant with God, or God made a covenant with Abraham. He went from Abram to Abraham. And in this this ceremony, God required that there would be the cutting of the blood, that he would literally remove foreskin. And so as a man, a grown man, and all of his servants, and all of everybody that was within his, his, his entourage, David, I mean, excuse me, Abraham had to cut the foreskin. And so... Anybody thereafter, after the eight days, they would all have to remove the foreskin of an eight day old baby boy. That was so that they would be part of the covenant that Abraham had. So David comes up, he says, That uncircumcised Philistine, he does not have a covenant with God. We do, I do. We have covenant with God. You don't. What does that mean? You don't have his protection. You don't have his covering. You don't have his approval. You can't see what God is doing. And oh, this is going to be fun. So, David just becomes so focused on God. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways that he is allowed to? He's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Did you catch the last thing David asked? Who is this pagan? Who is this uncircumcised? Who's this guy who doesn't have a covenant with Jehovah Jireh? This is why this statement is so important. It shows us David's focus was that his focus was never on the armies of Saul. It was on God. They believed God was a covenant God. Do you know, if, I, if you get a contract and you sign it and you do everything and they sign it and you, they do everything, you know, that, that contract's only good for the period of time allotted on the contract. Right? You know what a covenant, why it's so powerful? It's actually recognized four to six generations, sometimes eight generations later. It makes a contract look like like a draft. It's just a thought, not a covenant. Matter of fact, when you get in a covenant with God, he never stops the covenant. He only makes the one better. He took the covenant with Abraham and made it better with Jesus. David knows he's in covenant, not contract. You see, he referred to the giant as the one who defies the army of the living God, not not the armies of Saul. Remember last week, Goliath referred to him as the servants of Saul. David's faith in God was, was so much bigger than the size of the giant Goliath. So it's in this passage that shows us why David was called a man after God's own heart. I wonder what would shift in our own lives. What would shift in our own marriages, in our own relationships, in our own place of work? What would shift in our own communities if we decided to maintain a focus on God way above all other things in our life and whatever size giant we saw? We must make the decision as David did. To be so focused on God's kingdom, we immediately can recognize someone or something that's coming against God's kingdom or God's people or God's church. The what or who are the giants in your life is a question we have to ask. Who's the giant? What's the giant in your life? Then, who are you focusing on? It's there. Don't ignore it. But I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to focus on the work of the cross. I'm going to know nothing. Check this out. The word of God says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. You see the difference? Remember, part of what empowered David was his understanding of who he was in God. He understood he was a covenant child. He understood, as we'll find out next week, this lion, this bear. If I can take them out. I saw the way he walks. He's all clumsy. Big old guy. Think about this. The guy's nine and a half feet tall. You see where it says lion up there? That's about how tall his head is. Some guys say he's 9'9". I don't care. Anything after seven is super big. Scholars believe he weighed without any of his armor on, 580 pounds, naked. That's a big boy. Who wants to feed him? David's not focusing on that. David's not looking at the externals. Samuel was. He saw Eliab. He's tall. That's got to be the one. Nope, not him. Israel is in all of the armies. They're looking out. Hey, he's a big giant. Nope, not David. What's he looking at? How big is my God? How big is my God? The question is going... Can I go from making that statement, how big is my God, to literally believing that statement that I act on it? I shared last week, what I think, what thoughts I'm allowing to come into my mind is what I'm going to end up believing. And when I end up believing those things, I end up acting and doing on what I believe. Guard your mind. So do you, do I really believe my God is bigger than any giant in my life? No, 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 quickly. Ask yourself, if I was a stare in the mirror, do I believe that? Or is there something else I believe and I don't even know it? Do I believe God is bigger than all my giants? God, forgive me. Forgive me for believing it here and believing it over there. But this one thing, I don't believe it. God, forgive me. How about you? Do you completely believe that God is bigger than all of the giants in your life? See, folks, Jesus commands us to remain in the vine, to remain in truth. Go with me to John 15, verse 5. And this is what Jesus says. How do we know all the red letters, right? Okay, okay. Yes, I am the vine. That's another way for us to understand. You know, the big redwoods, Jesus is saying, I am the trunk, I'm the main part of the tree. I am the vine, okay? You are the branches. Those who remain in me, I'm I'm the trunk. Those who remain in me, the branches, stay connected to the tree, to the trunk. And I in them will produce much fruit. Wow. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anybody here been out on the vineyards? Anybody here, you cut a branch off? How many grapes are going to grow on that thing next year? You see, if I pull away from the King of Kings, from the Lord of Lords, if I walk away, if I backslide, I push away from my faith in God. I'm not connected anymore to the trunk. I'm no longer connected to the vine. I am separate. I have no life feeding me, causing me to have the ability to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And I chose that. But if I get connected, if I get regrafted back into the vine, I can produce fruit again. It can all happen. I don't know what kind of giants are in your life. But if you've been cut away, if you've been looking at the thing that's been causing fear and doubt and worry, you've been condemned by people in your life, I'm asking you to say no to those lies and say, Jesus, would you regraft me into you, the vine, that I might get... Life poured back into me and that I could produce a great harvest for the kingdom in my own family, my own marriage, in my own community. Father, I pray for you people. Lord, we all know we can relate to this kind of a message. We all have some, some kind of story that our family life wasn't perfect. Lord, yours wasn't. Even the people in in your own little community didn't receive you. But Lord, that never altered your purpose, your significance, your calling to go to the cross and accomplish the work that God had for you to do. God, you have called River Rock Fellowship into existence. You have breathed life into us. And as long as we stay grafted, as we stay connected into the vine, and you into us, there will be great fruit. And we claim that in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus for the lost, for the broken families. Well, there's giants in the land. But God, you're creating giant slayers in this house. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we plead the blood of Jesus. 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 Oh, God bless your people. Just set them free. Set them free from those curses that have been on them since they were little. Those things that moms and dads or family had ever said. Lord, I bind that in the name of Jesus right now. It's not true. It's not who God says you are. We break that. We break that in the name of Jesus. And for those who believe the lies that came from maybe an ex- relationship, a spouse, something that came from somebody they respected and loved that's supposed to be there for them and they weren't. We bind that and break that in the name of Jesus. And pray that we could look the way David did at a giant and just say, hey, he's uncircumcised. He's a pagan greater is he oh God let's go do this Father we ask this in your name that is holy that is holy that is holy well we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus here's a great question to ask yourself right now how will I be different because of what I just heard today Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.